Good evening, beloved brethren. I'm excited and blessed, happy to be able to stand in front of you all. I uh, feel encouraged by your presence. You are my spiritual family, and I, uh, I can't thank you enough for being here. Uh, to the visitors as well, I extend a, a welcome to you, a, a hearty welcome, and I'm thankful for your presence uh, in addition to that. You can be open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. It is Q&A night tonight, and I've been handed the proverbial torch from Josh to address these questions uh, for, for tonight from the Q&A section. The Q&A, it's not a, it's not a live open forum. Uh, it's just taking some questions in and addressing those and tackling those and kind of working through the Bible and seeing what the Word of God has to teach. Again, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 is going to be the overarching principle of, of everything that we're going to be talking about tonight because we're going to be addressing some questions about the family. Tonight we're going to be doing some Q&A on family matters, different different things to do with the family. Matthew ten thirty seven reads like this. It's kind of again, it's the first and the last verse that we need to consider in a discussion like this. Matthew ten thirty seven. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus says, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So still, even though that this verse it serves as a great first verse to look at, it serves as a great. Last verse to look at in the discussion about familial relationships and kind of where does that rank in, in relation to our relationship to God. Uh, I believe uh, in the spirit of Q&A night, it's, it's good to work through the Bible and to see kind of the different angles and the totality, uh, not, not the totality, but the, the, a more uh, complete picture of what Scripture has to say about these things. So we won't be talking about, some of y'all are seeing this Family Matters thing, uh, and you're thinking... We're probably going to be talking about that famous sitcom starring Steve Urkel. And no, we're not going to be talking about that. Um, though I do have a lot of memories of watching that with my family. Uh, we'd be watching shows like Full House, Family Matters. We'd be watching that before school in the morning. You know, I'm eating my Wheaties or my Cheerios, and I'm sitting there, and, and we're all gathered around, and we're enjoying those shows, those good sitcoms that are classics, by the way, um, that, that are probably going to be good in 20 years, 40 years, and, and, and why? I'll tell you why. Because it's relatable. It's relatable across the across the board. We we all have families for the most part. Almost, I'm pretty sure every single one of us has families. You know, we got a mom, we got a dad, uh, and we've got those relationships. Now, the different degrees of how that all works that's different for everybody. But at, at the base, we can understand those shows, and, and we understand that 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 every, just about all of us we understand that family comes with certain things. It comes with trust. It comes with respect. It comes with with Love and, and, and all those things, especially love. We love our fathers, right? We, we love our mothers. We love our kids. We love the grandparents. We love the cousins. You know, we, we, we love our family. That's good. We should. That natural affection is, is great. It's God-given. That, that, that needs to be understood. That's God-given. That, those are good things. So then, the old sitcom title is very true. Family matters. Family does matter. It's very, very important. It's important to God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 6 and, and meet me over there in Ephesians 6. And we're, we're going to see again uh, th- this principle from the Old Testament that's echoed again in the New Testament uh, about family. It's the first commandment of the law of Moses. It's echoed again by Paul here in Ephesians 6 verse 2 where we're told to honor our fathers and our mothers. So God completely, 100%, wholeheartedly agrees with the notion that family is a significant thing, our parents are a significant thing, and that our parents are worthy of a certain degree of respect. Colossians 3, verse 20 is another good one. Colossians 3, verse 20 is another good one that tells us forthrightly that we're charged to obey our parents. We're commanded to honor them. 
And that honor doesn't just stop once you, you stop living under their roof. Of course, there's a, a little bit of a different relationship while you're under their subjection in their home, but, but still, you continue that honor through the rest of your life. You, you continue to be thankful for them for raising you, for giving you life. And in their old age, you, 1 Timothy 5, verse 4, you make some return to your parents. 1 Timothy 5, verse 4 says that, 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 that we make some return to our parents even in their, in their old age. And that's pleasing in the sight of God. And all the, the, the combination of these verses, what it tells me is that we're to honor our parents. Always we're to honor our parents. So honoring father and mother, that's generally pretty easy to do if you're trying to follow God and be a Christian. So what we're going to do, we're going to do is we're going to be talking through the three, three questions. Our first question is going to be, all right, honoring father and mother, super important. If you're going to do that though, it's pretty easy if your parents are trying to follow God you're trying to follow God, and you're all on the same page about those things. But, but how am I going to honor my unfaithful parents? That's just a little bit of a different relationship. How do I honor my unfaithful parents? And I'm going to mean a couple of different things when I say unfaithful, and we're going to break that down in, in different regards. But the first kind of scenario, there's going to be two different really paths that we can take with this when we talk about parents that are unfaithful to God. I mean, uh, you know, those that have never obeyed the gospel, those that have and they've departed from the faith. Uh, Folks like that, how do I honor them? There's two scenarios, like I said. The first uh, is that maybe maybe you've got good parents as far as you know them being people. They're good morally, and as parents, they're good parents to you, but they're just, they're just lacking that element of spirituality, and they're just not a Christian. Well, on the surface, uh, this is pretty easy to answer. Again, Colossians 3, verse 20, still, it still applies here. You still obey them. You still obey them in everything. You give them the respect that they deserve for raising you and for being good to you. That's natural. We understand that. That you're still supposed to obey your parents even if even if they're not Christians. You can't just say, "Oh, well, you're not even a Christian," and just write them off. No, that that's not gonna that's not gonna fly. But how about when it gets kind of sticky? How about when comes Saturday evening, your parents bring everybody and you're all sitting around the living room and they. Oh, all right, guys, well, we're thinking about going to the ball game tomorrow. Oh, and you're sitting here. Well, wait, hold on a minute. Well, worship's in the morning, and then worship's in the afternoon. Well, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go with my family? I'm supposed to just say, just, just go to church anyway. Well, Hebrews 10.25 tells us that we're not to neglect the assembling of ourselves together. If I'm trying to serve God, but my parents aren't faithful, well, what are we supposed to say to that? Well, there's kind of a fork in the road there. Well, I'll tell you, yeah, you're supposed to obey your parents, and you're supposed to be submissive to your parents, but there's a but, and there's an asterisk. 1 Peter 3.15 says that we're supposed to honor Christ in our hearts as holy. That's 1 Peter 3.15. If our parents choose not to make time for God and His people on a Sunday, and they don't want to make holy, or they don't want to set apart that time, well, then what are we supposed to do? We'll flip over to Acts 5, verse 29. Acts 5, verse 29. Again, this is going to be, uh, we're building these passages on top of each other, because they're all going to apply in all these situations. Acts 5, verse 29. That... What did the apostles say? When it, comes to, when, it, when it came to government versus God, well, they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Well, the Bible says, Romans 13, we're supposed to obey the government, right? But Acts 5.29 says that even though it says that, that if it comes to a conflict between what man has to say and what man's commands and man's laws are, then you choose God as a priority every time. We need to understand that. So when it comes to a clash in priorities, we've got to do everything we can to choose God in that situation. So uh, again, if you're talking to a younger person and you're trying to reason with them, or if you are a younger person and you're in the home, and the family's a, you know, we're not, 
uh, we've decided to not go to church because we're going to do this this other thing. Well, what am, what am I going to do if I was in that situation? Uh, if I down-aged myself to, let's say, 15, I'm not able to drive. I don't have a car of my own. I, I don't. I don't have any. I don't have any option uh, to get there on my own. But my parents are gonna. They're just gonna bail. Well, what I'm gonna do is I'm not just gonna go. Well, all right. Well, there's my out. I'm not coming to church. No. I'm gonna talk to my family and I'm gonna. I'm gonna just tell them I don't want to go on the trip. I want to be with God's people. I'm gonna call everyone I know from church and I'm gonna try to find a way to get there. That 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 you'll fight tooth and nail to get there if you really do. Again, this is the sermon from last Sunday. If you believe God's there. If you want to be with God's people, if you want to make it to heaven, you're fighting everything tooth and nail to prioritize God. And that's, again, something a conversation you would have gently with your parents. You, you know, you're not trying to, to, to feel like you're, you're deriding them, but, but you certainly, you want to, you want to apply uh, God's principles first. Even though they might be doing something totally innocent, again, like going to a ball game. Or maybe they just want to take a family day and just be lazy and hang around the house and play board games. Family's important. But God's got to be more important. Because those wholesome things, well, they can become sin when they come in front of God, can't they? So, a little bit more of an innocent situation, this first scenario. But but what about the second one? What about the situation where we want to honor our parents? And yeah, okay, they're not even, they're they're not Christians. But they're not even, they're not even good. They're just downright bad parents. Well, what do we do then? What do you do in the face of that? In the face of, uh, of a parent that's not a good example, that's not providing for you, that, that doesn't seem to care, that's morally bankrupt. What do you do? I mean, we're, we're all sinners. I, I get that in one sense. We've, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I'm talking about flagrant, deep, dark, ugly, reprehensible sin. How do you respond to that? What do you do? Well, deadbeat dads and slack mothers, those are the kind of people I'm talking about. Some, someone who even the world would say, yeah, yeah, that's rough. That, that's not a good parent. What do we say to that? Again, Young folks, as long as you're under their roof, Colossians 3 verse 20, it still applies. No matter how harsh they are with you, no matter how, how rude, even if it's persecution coming from them, you just gotta obey them. And you gotta, in and up to the point that you're not violating God's commands, you've gotta obey them. And that's rough. And now I just see a lot of young people right now and they're kinda, cause they're, they're, they're seeing that I'm standing up here saying, parents, you gotta, you know, you gotta license to do whatever you want with them, even if you're harsh and they still gotta listen. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying to be abusive, okay? But I'm saying, you know, if, you're, if you feel like your parents are being too harsh with you, just, just obey. Just obey in the face of it. However, uh, if you've got wicked parents, odds are they're doing wicked stuff. And they might want you to take part in doing those wicked things. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. Flip over there. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11. Despite the fact that you know, you might be trying to serve God to the best of your ability. And yeah, you need to be in subjection to your parents, even if they're, even if they're not the, the absolute perfect uh, example of what it means to be good. Or quite the opposite. Uh, there, there are still situations where you can disobey your parents. And I'm going to tell you that. And I'm going to put an asterisk next to it again, uh, younger folks. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. It says to take no part, no part at all, in the unfruitful works of darkness. In short, don't do what your wicked parents do. Don't engage in their sin. Don't walk in the way of sinners, even your own parents. Furthermore, don't even help them sin. Don't stand in approval of their sin. Don't enable their sin. Don't stand on the fence. Don't try to lean over the fence. Stand firm in the faith that God has given you. For those that might have children that 
Parents, rather, that are, are, are totally wicked and they're trying to drag you into their sin, those leaven concepts that Joshua's talking about, sometimes for your own, your own faith, your own sanctity, your own sainthood, you have to say, I'm not going to take part in that. That's the right thing to do. And I'm, I'm telling you, you're doing the right thing by doing that. Truth be told, you're, you're not violating God's command to honor your parents by choosing to, to stand in opposition to sin. Even if, even if they don't like it, you are honoring them. You're showing them a good example of someone who doesn't move and who is, who is absolutely integral. They have integrity and they have discipline. Someone who's consistent. That's what you're showing your parents. And if they're not proud of that, then so be it. But they ought to be. Parents, that's something to be proud of. When your child, if they, if they rail against you in your sin, then you ought to be thankful for that. So, the thing is, you're unbelieving parents. What, they might, not be, they might not be proud if you choose God. And we're told we're going to be persecuted, neglected, and scoffed at in this walk. And it's not just, it's not just unbelieving parents, right? There's, there's all kinds of family members that we might deal with uh, that, that they don't like the fact that, that we're wanting to be a Christian. But we have the promise of persecution. We say, the New Testament tells us we will be persecuted. Well, what do we do? What do we do when that persecution comes from our own flesh and blood? What do we do? Some people might want to know then the answer to this next question. Won't becoming a Christian cause conflict in my family? This one's pretty short and easy to answer with the principles that we established earlier. Because it's really, it's not asking, is there going to be conflict? It's, it's asking, it's, on a deeper level, it's asking, can I, can I become a Christian anyway? Through that conflict is the question. And, and if, we, if we looked at those passages from earlier about Acts 5.29, yeah, about how we ought to obey God rather than men, we ought to be concerned with the things that God wants, that seems easy to answer, right? But, but many still wonder. They wonder if choosing to become a member of the Lord's church will create family problems. They wonder if, if maybe their family won't like their decision. After all, it, it might mean leaving the family religion, right? I had to do that. It did create ripples. Might mean leaving the family faith. Might mean leaving the family denomination. Well, well, well that, that is going to come with some ripples. But remember the words of Jesus again in Matthew 10, verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And, and so, so Jesus points this out. Again, the same principle from before applies. If it comes down to family or God, family is no excuse not to obey God. And it can't hold you back. The problem here, it's not that you have too much respect for your family. And you just don't want to upset your family. The problem is that you don't have enough reverence for God in this equation. If the individual is using familial relationships and the, the potential threat of those being severed as an excuse to not obey God and to do everything they can to scratch and scrounge away from that, well, 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 well then what you've done is you've made your family into an idol. And the truth is, there, there's going to be conflicts. Maybe there will be conflicts. But what does Jesus say about that in Matthew 10, 37? Again, he says, if you honor father, or if you, if you love father and mother more than me, then you're not worthy of me. That's what he said, Matthew 10, 37. He says, choose me anyway. He says, don't make your family an idol. Don't do that. Don't put them as a barrier between you and Christ. Furthermore, let's look at what the Apostle has to say. The Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3 starting in verse 5. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5. Paul, Paul knew a thing or two about family relationships. Paul knew a thing or two. His Jewish brethren, his, his family, 
He called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day, Paul says, describing himself of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. blameless. His blood family were the Jewish people. And many of Paul's family, I, I know that they would have stood beside him in his persecution of, of, of our spiritual family. And they would have given, 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 the, given the thumbs up to everything that he was doing. Good job, Paul. You're going out there and you're taking care of these Nazarenes. You're, you're cleaning up the streets, Paul. And he's got all this support from outside. Well, when Paul obeys the gospel, what do you think happened? What do you think happened with those folks that were backing him? That were You're a Pharisee of Pharisees, Paul. And we're giving him all the, the pats on the back and so proud of him. He had to leave the family faith. He did. He chose that. And why? Verse 7. I'll tell you why, verse 7. Again, it's, it's the reverence for God that matters. Not the respect for your family. The reverence for God takes priority. Verse 7. Paul continues. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So what does Paul say? Paul says, I chose Jesus anyway. Paul says, what he says is, I do not love father and mother more. He understood Matthew 10.37. He understood the verse that's underscoring all of our thoughts today. He didn't love father and mother more than Christ. He put Christ as the top priority. But maybe even still, maybe there's an individual you're talking with, or maybe it's you, and maybe you're, you're not afraid necessarily of damaging existing familial relationships with, with being a Christian. Maybe you're not afraid of, of, of causing strain and stress and conflict in, in your current and your active family today. And, and maybe that's not a concern, but you still have familial concerns. You're worried that, that your actions may still contrast with members of your family. Well, what am I talking about? I'm saying maybe you have a loved one who's passed away. Someone that you, you really respected and you really loved, but they've gone on now. And maybe you're, maybe you're sitting and you're studying in the Bible. Maybe you're with somebody. Maybe you're not. You're reading about that, uh, how the people were saved in the New Testament. Well, water baptism and, and for the forgiveness of sins. And you're seeing that you're buried with Christ in that. And you're saying, man, the person I'm thinking of, that I think of as like, man, they were... They were such a good person. I looked up to him so much. And you're thinking of this person. And you're thinking, man, they, they didn't do that. And so, what's the next thing that comes out of that person's mouth? We've heard it so much. I've heard it so much. If you're, if you're going out and you're evangelizing the community, you hear it all the time. What, what, what do they say? They ask this question. And it's from a sincere heart. And they really want to know, are you saying, my dad, mom, grandpa, grandma, cousin, aunt, uncle, Brother, sister, etc. Are you saying they, they're not saved? Are you saying they weren't saved? It happens all the time. It happened to me, again, multiple times. To which, I always say, short answer, no. I'm not saying that. I'm absolutely not saying that. We're, we were just studying the Scriptures together. I didn't say nothing about your relative. I didn't say anything about them. But yet, you drew this conclusion. And I'm not going to sit here and, and crawl up in God's chair and, and judge their soul. I'm, I'm just not going to do that. It's a doozy of a question. It's emotionally charged and it's loaded. So what do we do in the face of a question like this? Well, this, this is a bad question. This is a loaded question. It's, it's literally one that we cannot answer yes or no. So what do we do? Well, we ask a different question. We change the angle a little bit. 
And, and, and this, this essentially will solve the problem. What would, what would your relative say? What would your family member say that's going on? What would they say to you if they could sit down and have a conversation with you? What would they say? Most of us who've lost someone, for me, it's my grandpa. I, I wish I could just sit down. I mean, I used to I have great memories of sitting down with my grandpa on the front porch and we'd, we'd watch the, the hummingbirds come up to the feeder and, and he'd sit there and I'd be a little kid and I'd be punching him in the leg and saying, fight with me, grandpa, fight with me. He'd say, I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And I, it sticks in my head. It didn't really influence me. Okay, clearly I'm a fighter, but uh, he didn't want that. Um, but he, he was... He was a great guy, very upstanding person. And I think of him, I think, if I could have one more conversation, what would that be like? And I don't know exactly how all that would go. I don't know exactly everything that he'd have to say to me. And just like you wouldn't, you, you don't know exactly what this relative would have to say to you. You would say to this person, or, or maybe you're saying to yourself right now, I don't know exactly how all that would go. But I'm going to tell you, I'm certain of some of the things that they'd say. They'd have some urgent things to tell you. You know, the first thing that they'd probably tell you the first thing that they'd probably say to you is Romans chapter 1, verse 20, the thought that's expressed there. It's in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. I think they'd echo this. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Romans 1, verse 20. Most of us know this pretty well. Romans 1, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely, that's talking about God, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Those that, that, that don't obey God, that are without excuse. And so I think your relative, I think they would say, God is real. If you look, you won't have an excuse not to acknowledge that He is real. There's creation. Therefore, there's a creator. They're saying, that they would be saying through the veil, open your eyes. See this. Acknowledge this. Let it hit you all the way down. There's a divine power that's so much greater than our, our family traditions. And then all of us. And that any of us, and they would want you and beg and plead with you to look past all of your family and see Him. That's what they'd do. I guarantee it. They'd tell you to stop making excuses. They'd tell you to look around. They'd tell you to see the power of God, to look at what He's made and what He'd given, what he'd given you. And in that, in that warning, I think, that, I think they'd point you to some of the same thoughts from Luke 16. Luke 16. Luke 16, we're going to start in verse 19. Luke 16 and verse 19. In this text we read... Of a, of a kind of a kind of an in between realm that exists between the the physical reality that we know and 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 there's two folks there there's a rich man who was wicked and there's Lazarus who was righteous start in verse 19 of, of Luke 16 there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, this is important, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may, be, may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So, I want to draw attention 
Yeah, okay, there's, there's, a, there's a righteous person and there's a wicked person. And, and one's on the right side of eternity right now waiting for the day of the Lord. The other's on the wrong side of eternity waiting for the day of the Lord. So here's the reality. First, we've got to understand, there's this chasm here. So no matter, this is a hard truth, but it's true. No matter which side of this chasm that your relative would be on, they cannot move from one to the other. Your actions on earth will not cause them to be saved or to be condemned. And we have to understand this. You won't condemn them by your actions. You will not do that. You won't save them by your actions. What you believe has no bearing on their faith or where they are or whether or not they were obedient to God. They're fixed there. And the rich man, the rich man had something very important to say and he wanted to warn his family members. Now, I'll put, I'll put this forward to you. I'm not saying that, that, that your relative or to a person that we were talking to, we don't need to say that their relative is the rich man in the story because they, they might not be. They could be on the right side. We don't know. We don't know. But I think that the, the admonition would be the very, very same. So the rich man says, I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, verse 28, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So he wanted to, the rich man, he wanted to warn his family members. He wanted to tell them that there is an afterlife, that their actions here on earth has very, very serious consequences. Their actions and obedience toward God, it's determining their fate and their direction. And, and I want to say again, that, that I'm not saying that this relative, this hypothetical relative, is the rich man in the story. I think they would say the exact same thing that the rich man is saying, whether they were in the rich man's position or whether they were in Lazarus' position. If they could speak with you, what would they say? They would say, obey God. Obey God. It doesn't matter where I am right now. It doesn't matter what I did. I want you to do things God's way, not my way. I want you to do what the Bible says. That's what they'd say. That's what I'd say no matter which side of eternity I'm on. So when the person brings up this question, well, what would my deceased relative say about this? Well, what does this mean about my deceased relative? It doesn't matter to you. Emotionally, it matters, sure. But it doesn't matter to your actions, to your choice of whether or not to obey God. If you're... This passage says, if you won't believe the scriptures, there's nothing that could be said to sway you. And I don't want you to fall in that category. We've got to soften our hearts. I don't want other people out in the world to fall into that category. And we've got to urge them to soften their hearts. We, we can't focus our minds. Whenever we do anything spiritual, for that matter, so that we don't get lost in traditionalism, we can't focus our minds on, what would mama think about this? What would dad think about this? Grandma and grandpa and our cousins, what would they say? It doesn't matter. It matters what God has to say. Paul drives this point home in Galatians 1 verse 10 where he makes it absolutely clear that you cannot be overly concerned with what your parents have to say about this, that, or the other, especially when it comes to your everlasting soul. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of men, Paul says, or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not. Be a servant of Christ. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, oh, I'm going to make some compromises for my family. Nope. Jesus says, if you honor them more than him, that's in any point. If you love them more than him in any point, that you failed. The first and the last thought 
in our discussion should be, what should Christ have me to do? We looked at Matthew 10, 37. Now look at a similar passage, Luke 14, verse 26. Luke 14, verse 26. Luke 14, verse 26. Not far away from that passage about Lazarus. Luke 14, verse 26. Jesus says, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to think about it before you do it. You can't just do it because your parents did it. You can't just ride your family's faith. You've got to look and you've got to determine what that would mean for yourself. Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Jesus is saying, if you're gonna, if you want to be a Christian, you can't be looking back to see, is, is mom and dad okay with this? Is grandma and grandpa okay with this? Is this gonna upset anybody else? If you can look in the New Testament and you can see what it means to become a Christian, then you ought to do that. Because it comes down to you and God. And if you do that, you'll, you'll receive a spiritual family. You'll become part of a spiritual family. You'll be part of God's family. How do you do that? You look to your older brother Jesus and you see his example. You see the faith that he had. You try to mirror that. You repent and you turn from your sins and you start walking in the way that he was walking. Even if it means up the hill of Calvary. You, you confess his name. You stand by your older brother Jesus and you die with him in the waters of baptism. We see that again and again in the scriptures. Romans 6, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 16, Acts 22. Conversion, conversion, conversion. People becoming members of the household of God. He's adding them. The Lord's adding them. Have you been added to the household of God? Where is your family? Where does your allegiance lie? I'm going to tell you. If you haven't placed your allegiance with God, or if you are, if you have been a member of the family of God, but you've chosen to distance yourself, or you've chosen to sever that relationship, you've got to change. You've got to purge out that leaven. You've got, to, you've got to come back in full strength. Not for anybody else. Not for mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, anybody. But for Jesus Christ who gave his life for you. If you need to make anything right, now's your time. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.